and welcome to the Dangerous Creatures podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Ryan. On this podcast, we'll be bringing you stories of humans being attacked by animals. What happened? Why it happened? And and all all the gory details. Welcome back to episode 11 of the Dangerous Creatures podcast. Hey guys. We are back again for a brand new discussion. Hope you weren't too grossed out uh, with the last episode. (laughs) I know it was pretty gross. Oh yeah, so this one is not going to be gross. We're going for more of the... Classic? Yeah, the (laughs) the classic animal attack. So we're talking about a classic... Dangerous creature today. Sick, lad on me. So today we're talking about polar bears. Polar bears. Well, actually, one polar bear, because um, I'm only telling you one story today because there was quite a lot of detail on this particular story. So we're just going to tell the one story, and then I'll probably do another episode in the future detailing some other cases because there's just so much on the polar bear that really yeah you never hear about that though. yeah i know like you hear more so about like your grizzlies and your black bears but you don't really hear about the polar bears that much yeah because i would have thought that like people don't particularly live near polar bears yeah but some people do oh, eskimos eskimos <laughs> um so yeah i'm gonna just tell you the one story today and then We'll, we'll cover some other stories in a future episode. Awesome. Okay. So I'm just going to do a little bit of an overview. So the polar bear is a hypercarnivorous bear. Hyper. Yeah, hypercarnivorous is just means that they have a diet that is more than 70% meat. Sounds like me. Yeah, I know. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Um, whose native range lies largely within the Arctic Circle, encompassing the Arctic Ocean, its surrounding seas and surrounding land masses. It is the largest living species of bear as well as the largest living predatory carnivore. Okay. Yeah. Bear expert Dr. Tom Smith says that the likelihood of being attacked by polar bear is very rare and that there are only about one to three instances a year worldwide and that attack circumstances are almost always related to the way people are camping or to individuals predisposing themselves to a problem. Mm, okay. So that they're not they're not going out to actively hunt you. It's you putting pretty much putting yourself at risk. In danger, yeah. Yep. Dummies. Yeah. <laughs> so the story I'm gonna tell you today comes from two thousand and thirteen. And I got the majority of my information from an article from Reader's Digest. I'm not going to tell you the title of the article because it will give away the ending, but I will give it its due credit at the end. (laughs) A polar bear killed me. (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) No. (laughs) So just to, so you've got all the information so it doesn't get confusing. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the Sierra Club. It will, it'll make sense once we go through it, okay? Okay. Oh, someone's phone just went off. 
Lol. It was yours, of course. Do you want no to put way. it? away? Yes. Okay, my bad. <laughs> so the Sierra Club is an environmental organization with chapters in all 50 United States, Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Traditionally associated with the progressive movement, the club was one of the first large-scale environmental preservations in the world and currently engages in lobbying politicians to promote environmentalist policies. In addition to political advocacy, the Sierra Club organises outdoor recreation activities such as hiking, rock climbing and mountaineering. Mm. So it's just sort of like an outdoors club that is also... Uh, rallies for environmental yeah. issues and engages the community. Tries to push policies and... That, that's good for the world. Yep. Yeah. So that's just an overview of the Sierra Club so you know what they do. That's a pretty, we just gave them a pretty good rap. <laughs> we did, didn't we? <laughs> so in 2013, the Sierra Club posted an ad in their magazine that promised the adventure of a lifetime. I don't trust that. Mm, Yeah, either. (laughs) And this is what it said. 14 days of hiking through northern Canadian wilderness with the possibility of seeing the world's largest land carnivore, the polar polar bear. bear. And here's a quote. If you dream of experiencing a place that is both pristine and magical, a land of spirits and polar bears rarely seen by humans, this is the trip you have been waiting for. <laughs> That's... Would, would that draw you in? Mm, yeah. <laughs> it would. Yeah, I'd be like, ooh. <laughs> so two seasoned Sierra Club guides were the leaders of the expedition. 60-year-old Rich Gross worked for a housing nonprofit in San Francisco, but spent a few weeks a year steering trips in remote parts of the world. The second guide was 59-year-old Marta Chase, uh, and she was a medical diagnostics consultant from North Carolina and had led hiking trips since high school, and the pair had guided 13 trips together. Okay. So, very experienced guides. You know, I would be pretty comfortable with them as my guides. So, I'm going to tell you the names and the occupations of the people who decided to go Take the trip. to go on this uh, experience of a lifetime. Yeah, right. Okay. So the people joining them were Larry Rodman, who was 63, and he was a New York City corporate lawyer. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Frankel, she was 65, an exercise physiologist from Oregon. Rick Eisenberg, 55, a clinical researcher and former physician from Arizona. Uh, Marta's husband, so Marta was the guide, um, 63-year-old Keycab, and he was a quality improvement manager. And lastly, joining the group was 48-year-old Matt Dyer, and he was a legal aid lawyer from Maine. So all these people have quite... High-paying jobs. But low um, outdoorsy experience. Is that – would that be safe yeah, to say? Yeah, I guess. But, you know, a lot of them were just maybe wanting to get away from their life in the city. Like a lot of them were lawyers, physicians, so high-stress sort of jobs. Um, you know, they all are all sort of in their 
60s as well. So a lot of them were probably heading towards retirement. So maybe had some spare time and just wanting to go and experience something that they maybe hadn't done. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. So 48-year-old Matt Dyer, he was the legal aid lawyer from Maine, had his shoulders and back covered with tattoos with images of nature, including a turtle, a winged bull, and a giant tree of life with ravens. A winged bull. Winged bull. So like a bull with wings. Like a red bull. (laughs) Does the red bull have wings? Oh, yeah. That's the ad. Red Bull gives you... (laughs) Maybe he has that tattooed on him. Maybe. So, it was Rich's... So, Rich's the guy. The guide. The guide. Yep. So, Rich and Marta are your guides. Yep. There's a lot of names, so just try and follow along as best you can. So, Rich had the idea to hike into the Torngat Mountains National Park in Canada's Arctic Tundra. And we learnt what a tundra was in our wolf episode. Do you remember what the tundra was? Uh, Like a valley? It's just like a clearing kind of thing. It's like a clearing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not very... It it sounds cool and important, but it's not really, is it? Yeah. it's. I think it's more so the the scientific name for a clearing. Yeah, cool. So, Rich had never seen a polar bear in the wild and was drawn to the area's mystical terrain. Only a few hundred people went to the park each year. I wonder why. And he wanted to be part of that club. Marta did as well, so she wanted to go there and go to the wilderness. However, she was a bit more concerned about hiking in polar bear country. So, it's super duper remote. Yeah, really remote. Like, are we talking you have to walk to get there? Um, They actually had to take a plane. A plane? Yeah, and I'll, we'll talk about that. So, polar bears will generally steer clear of humans. However, like a lot of predators dealing with habitat habitat loss, that's beginning to change. Yeah, I reckon especially being a carnivore in a environment that there's not too many... Um, prey options. Prey options, yeah. Yeah. So, like many areas in the Southern Arctic, the Torngats has typically an ice-free summer season when the bears are forced onto land and live off their body fat. Worldwide climate change is driving temperatures higher. The Arctic is warming at about twice the rate of the rest of the globe and the period when the animals have to live off their reserves has lengthened. Uh-oh. Since the late 1970s, the number of ice-free days in the area around the Torn Gats has increased from 125 days a year to 175 days a year. That's pretty significant. It is. Desperate bears will turn to goose eggs, grasses, berries, and pretty much anything else they can find. As the ice-free period increases, it's predicted that more bears will come into contact with humans. So it really, you know, the environmental factors and the global warming factors really... Have an effect on them. Have an effect on a lot of different animals. Yeah. And just a little bit of a fact about polar bears is that less than 2% of their hunts are actually successful. (laughs) 
So they suck. How do they survive? (laughs) (laughs) So their main prey will consist of seals, obviously, although they will scavenge carcasses or settle for small mammals, birds, eggs, and vegetation. What about fish? Can they fish? Like like a normal brown bear? I don't think they're that well-equipped for fishing like salmons and stuff because if you think about it, they're in the open ocean. They're like surrounded by open ocean. It's not like a stream where the grizzlies will get the salmon out of the water. So it didn't it didn't say anything about fish. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Cuz that's the first thing I would have thought they ate, but fish? Mm. Yeah, I think the main thing is the is the seals. Yeah. Yeah. So, on Sunday, July 21st, 2013, a float plane carrying the Sierra Club party descended toward the eastern shore of the Torngats. The plan the plane landed on Nuck Nakvak Fjord. Nakvak. Fjord. Nakvak Fjord. Fjord. And a fjord uh, is a long, narrow inlet with steep sides or cliffs created by a glacier. <laughs> so, like a valley. I don't created know. Created by a glacier. So, a long, narrow inlet with steep sides or cliffs. Yeah, a valley. So, we're learning a lot about... um, Geology. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So, the plane dropped off the party onto the desolate but breathtaking landscape. Yes. So, the first thing they did was set up their camp roughly 140 metres from the shoreline. On the Parks Canada website... They strongly encourage visitors to hire licensed polar bear guards that have taken a specialised safety course and are permitted to carry guns. So they say... That was supposed to hire some people. If you're going to go here, you need to hire these special guards to watch out for the polar bears. (laughs) Imagine if that was your job. Imagine, like... um, Organizing a camping trip, and one of the things you have to do is hire some guards to protect you I know. from animals. I know. <laughs> Seems like a big risk, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, so, Rich and Marta decided to forego the hired help. They thought, meh. Mistake number one. Yeah, let's, let's not. So, instead, they spoke to an outfitter familiar with the area who told them that flare guns, bear spray, and electric fences offered the necessary protection. So, I would have thought that would work too. Yeah. They set up two electric fences, one around the campsite and another around the area where they would cook and store their food. Each fence stood about three feet high and consisted of three parallel wires suspended from posts. Three feet high, I don't think is that high. About a meter. I feel like. About up to your hips. I feel like a polar bear could just step over that. Nah, because they like, they kind of slumber when they walk, don't they? Like, they can't actually, like, step over things, can they? I don't know. They're usually on four, (laughs) aren't they? Yeah, I think so. But it just doesn't seem high enough. I feel like if it really wanted to get over that, it, yeah. it could. Yeah. Well, 
Let's find out. Let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) So the wires had five to seven kilovolts. Kilovolts. (laughs) Kilovolts. Yeah, go. The wires had five to seven kilovolts of charge, which is not enough to injure a polar bear, but supposedly enough to just send it running. So give it a bit of a fright. Yeah. On their first night, they prepared cream of potato soup and pesto pasta for dinner. Fancy. That is fancy. I know. For a camera trip. <laughs> or just had baked beans. I know. Wolves occasionally wanted interview. That's a no from me. After they ate, some of the hikers stayed to clean up. And by 10.30, they'd all retired to their tents. So, a very... Cruisy first day, setting up camp, setting up all the safety measures. Being excited about, you know, the first night camping. Absolutely. The first night's always the best one. At about four o'clock that morning, Marta's husband, Keycab, stepped out of his tent and yelled, Polar bear on the beach! (laughs) (laughs) A mother and her cub were walking along the shore. All the other hikers came out to see the site. Matt Dyer, the legal aid lawyer with the tattoos, was on the verge of tears. Happy tears, I guess. Because it was beautiful? It didn't really uh, clarify. I would assume happy tears because I don't think you'd get sad. Just Oh, no, because is he the guy that's never seen one in the in the wild? No, that was Rich, the, oh, okay. the guide. This yeah. is just one of the the hikers. It'd be pretty cool. First night as well. What the hell? Well, I nearly cried that time we saw those cassowaries in Queensland. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Weird. The following day, July 22nd, they had a breakfast of oatmeal and coffee and then assembled their backpacks and put on warm clothes before heading off to explore the fjord. Rich and Marta were both carrying flare guns because obviously it's Canada. I think their gun laws... You can't just carry a gun. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're pretty strict there, I'm pretty mm. sure. They hiked through scrub willows and grassy hills and along the edges above their camp. They came across black bear scats, caribou antlers, and the skull of what looked like a wolf or a seal. Matt tucked a tooth from the skull into his pocket. <laughs> At around 3.30pm, they reached a stream near their camp. For feet that had been hiking in hiking boots all day, the freezing cold water offered relief. So they were just going there to put their feet in there. Keycab was walking barefoot in the water when Matt saw something coming towards them. Polar bear, he shouted. Get back here. The bear was approximately 140 metres away and quickly approaching them. This bear looked larger and had a fuller coat than the female they'd seen that morning. Keycab returned to the group and they all huddled together following polar bear defence protocol. Stand together, make yourself seem big and make loud noises. Uh, especially metal on metal, if you've got that. That's metal as. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bear kept coming. So the bear's seen them. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So setting it up, he saw the bear Mm -hmm. and the bear saw him. So they, yeah, the bear was coming for him. Yes. 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 Well, for the group. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the bear kept coming, and when it was in 45 metres, Rich decided to shoot his flare gun. The flare gun shot towards it, however the bear still kept advancing. Only when the shell landed in front of it, causing a second burst, did the the bear finally run off. Lucky. Mm. Gee whiz. The group cheered and clapped. (laughs) 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 Uh, But the bear didn't go far. It settled on a ledge about 274 metres away with a clear view of the camp. So it just sat. Stalking them. Yeah. Mm -mm. By the time the hikers reached the safety of their camp, the rain was coming down hard. Most of the members went to their tents for a nap after the long day of hiking and the encounter with the bear, but Matt felt uneasy. He stayed outside and watched the bear for an hour until he himself took a nap. Um, And there's actually a picture that Marilyn took of the bear sitting on the ledge, and I'm going to show it to you. Yeah, okay. Because it's quite... Creepy. It's quite ominous. How far away again? 200 metres. About 200 metres. So, you know how they were down in the fjord? So, they were down and the bear had perched itself on a ledge so that it could just see the camp. Okay, so this is the photo that Marilyn took of the polar bear sitting on the ledge. Oh, okay. Wow. It's actually not the landscape that I had in my mind. Yeah, you're expecting it to be like super snowy. And a little bit more barren. But I think July over there is sort of summer. summer. So, um, yeah, but obviously it's quite ominous. It's obviously just perched itself on the ledge and it can, if you see like the cliff. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Um, We'll put that on the Instagram, won't we? Yes, we will definitely. So you can have a bit of a look at it. So the bear remained on the ledge and at 5pm, the group went to the cooking area. Using their zoom lenses, they watched the bear roll on its back and lie on its belly. Marilyn said it looked like a big dog, but to others, the behaviour was unsettling. Would you find that unsettling? Not really. I'd be like, ha that's really cute. Look Look at it roll around. Over dinner, they laughed and shared stories of past trips and their lives back home. They didn't talk about the bear that was still observing them. Keycab reassured the group about how the mother and cub weren't interested in them and that the bear on the ledge had run away from the flare. So just sort of reassuring them that, you know, we saw that mother and the cub walking along the beach. They weren't interested and the flare gun obviously work, uh, worked against the bear, that, uh, the bear on the ledge when it was approaching them earlier. I hope in they've the got day. more flare bullets. That's <laughs> why. Um, but Matt couldn't shake his unease. You know how sometimes you just get that feeling like something's terribly wrong here. Um, but Rich, the guide, was just like, "Don't worry. Like that's what the fences are for. Like we've got the flare guns, we've got the electric fences." Yeah, they're pretty well set up, I guess. Nothing to worry about. You know, they didn't have the guards, but I'd feel safe having fences. Mm. Yeah. So Rick Eisenberg, the clinical researcher, checked on the bear every time he woke up during the night. 
but by 1am it had disappeared. I'm not sure whether I'd prefer it gone out of sight or staying where I could see it. Well, their camp is kind of like, they have a pretty good visual of everything around them. They do. Like, it's quite an open space where they were camping, but I don't know, would you just, would you want to keep it in sight or disappear to where it can't? Well, something like that, you would think um, the only reason it would leave the area is because it's not interested anymore. Or if it was coming down to the ledge to take a closer look at you. But you'd see it. In the dark, during the night. I don't think, in the Arctic, it doesn't really get dark at night in summer. Like, it gets dark, but it's not like... Dark, dark. Dark, dark. (laughs) Because the sun's still kind of on the horizon. Arctic Circle. I honestly don't know. The next morning, it was cold and rainy, but they still packed their bags for another day of exploration. The weather had started to improve, so they stopped at a rock above the campsite to take silly pictures of each other. And I'll post some of the pictures that they took of each other as well. So that night, before Rich turned in for the night, he walked the camp's perimeter and confirmed that the fence was working. How do you do that? (laughs) Touch it? (laughs) Don't know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So before he crawled into his sleeping bag, he tucked the flare gun into his boot. At 3.30am, he awoke to the sound of screaming. Uh Uh-oh. On the third day? Yeah. Well, second night. Third night. Yeah, okay. Third night. From the window of her tent, Marta saw a polar bear a few feet away, down on all fours and tearing at a neighbouring tent. Then it began dragging it away into the darkness. Whose tent? Whose tent do you think? I don't know. Really? I tried to like set it up a little bit. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on who it could be. Rick? 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 Mm, Or Rich? I don't know. (laughs) Continue. So, Rich pulled his flare gun from his boot, ran outside in his long johns, and took aim at the bear. The animal was 20 metres away, heading west, with something dangling from its mouth. And that something was Matt Dyer. Oh. Matt had been sleeping when he was awoken to two paws, each a foot wide, silhouetted against his thin nylon tent. So the bear had its paws on the tent. He shouted, bear in the camp, he's got me, he's got me. The bear clamped its mouth around the crown of Matt's head and ripped him out of the tent. Oh, shit. He heard his jaw break as the huge polar bear teeth punctured his head and neck. And they have 42 extremely sharp teeth. He could smell the fishy, oily stench of the bear's saliva. Fishy? Yeah. So. Maybe they do eat fish. I don't know. As the bear was carrying him away, 
he stared at its white stomach and the yellow stains on its hindquarters. He funnily enough noticed that one of his socks had fallen off. And I've heard that people have those weird kind of thoughts when they're in a traumatic situation. Like, isn't that just a bizarre thing to notice? Like, oh, a polar bear's carrying me away, but one of my socks is gone. <laughs> so... <laughs> He could hear the shouts of his friends behind him. The bear turned towards them, throwing Matt into the air and slamming him against the ground. Without losing grip on Matt's head, it moved towards the water. With his head in the bear's jaws, he saw a flash of light and heard the flare gun. The bear dropped him hard and fled. Matt was in shock and luckily could not feel any pain. He's still alive. For the moment. Oh my gosh. Rich handed the flare gun to Marilyn and told her to cover him while he and Rick went to check on Matt. About 20 metres from the campsite, they found Matt's crumpled, blood-soaked body. They thought he was already dead. Rick knelt beside, beside him and noticed he was still breathing. Keycab and Larry ran out and helped carry Matt's limp body back to camp. They lay him down on a sleeping pad in the centre of the camp, covered him with two sleeping bags and placed a sack under his head. Rich and Keycab pulled up the cook tent and placed it over him to give Rick, who had been a physician, uh, room to work while protecting them from the wind and the cold. All Rick had was a basic medical kit. So four by four gauze pads, a roll of gauze strip antibiotic ointment, splints, and a pair of scissors. That's, that's, all, that's all he had to work with. Far out. Matt's face was swollen and bruised, and his jaw was displaced, but he was talking. Whoa. And all he said over and over again was just, thank you, oh, thank you, thank you, just over and over again. Rick hacked through Matt's blood-soaked hair, and wounds ringed his face and head but they were oozing blood, not pumping it, which was a positive sign. I don't know why. Because if it was pumping, it means... Does that mean like they've hit like an artery or something? Main vein and it's like under pressure. Is that when it's like spurts out? Yeah, right. Okay. So the biggest wound was a gash on his neck that looked as if it had been filleted open. Oh, gross. Yeah. Rick could see Matt's Rick could see Matt's carotid artery, which is the main supplier of blood to the head and the neck. You're joking. The artery was still intact, but if one false move caused it to tear, he would bleed to death. Where's your carotid oh artery? Gosh, that's the one in your neck that you you go, I oh, find your pulse. Oh, okay. Right. That's oh. the the main Main the main one, like if someone tries to decapitate you and they cut that, you'll just die. Yes. Weird way of putting it, but yes. <laughs> now, Rick was absolutely terrified. Matt was in a critical condition. They were hundreds of miles from help and Rick hadn't practiced medicine in 15 years. Worst case scenario. He held Matt's hand and all he could do was pray. At 3.45am, 45 minutes after the first screams, 
Marta reached a police dispatcher by satellite phone and told them what had happened and that one hiker needed to be evacuated and that the rest of them were in danger. Unfortunately, the area was enveloped in a thick fog and there was just no way to launch a rescue until it cleared. (sighs) Meanwhile, Marilyn, who's a bad bitch, circled the campsite with a flare gun as the electric fence had been destroyed. (laughs) So it did fuck all. It did nothing. Keycab and Larry took turns patrolling with a second gun and Rich stayed outside the tent to assist Rick and Marta called dispatch every 15 minutes to check on progress of the rescue. 45 minutes later at 4.20 a.m., Rick announced that Matt was stable. If his carotid artery didn't rupture and he kept breathing, he would have a good chance of survival. Wow, that's sick. The sun was finally coming up, so if the bear were to return, at least they would be able to see it. Four and a half hours later, at 8.30am, the rescue helicopter finally touched down at the base camp. Medic Larry Brandridge got off and assisted the hikers to carry Matt to the chopper. Rick climbed on board to help, but the others would have to wait for a boat that was being sent to pick them up. Yeah. Matt was taken to Torngat Mountains Base Camp and Research Station, where the medic inventoried and cleaned his wounds. He began with the bite and claw marks on his face, which were dripping blood into Matt's eyes. The medic asked Matt how he was feeling. And he res- and he responded like crap. <laughs> and the medic said, "That's not bad for someone who just got attacked by a polar bear." Truth. Yeah. The medic peeled off the main bandage on Matt's neck. The smell of flesh filled the tent, and it smelled like death. The hole in his neck was about the width of a pencil and went behind his jugular jugular and toward his esophagus. Oh, my gosh. Each time Matt inhaled, he was absorbing blood into the wound. He quickly realized... The medic quickly realized that he did not have the equipment or expertise to save Matt's life. So they put him back in the chopper and sent him to George River, a town 45 minutes away, where a first response team were awaiting his arrival. Wow. How come they didn't go there first up, straight up? Well, I think they just needed to first get him out of the initial site and then just examine his wounds and then decide where to take him from there because they didn't know how severe his injuries were. Yeah. From there, he'd be flown to Kujajuk and then on to Montreal. Oh, my God. That's like a round-the-world trip for him. (laughs) Just through Canada. In Kujajuk, doctors found that he had a a punctured lung and so he was heavily sedated and had a breathing tube inserted. Around midnight on July 25th, 20 hours after the initial attack... Matt was finally admitted to Montreal General Hospital. He had two broken vertebrae, his jaw was crushed, his left hand was broken in several places, 
his right lung had collapsed, a tendon in his right arm was punctured, and he had at least a dozen wounds, including the hole in his neck. That's fucking crazy. I'm sweating. (laughs) This is intense, this story. Two days later, on July 27th, the rest of the hikers arrived at the hospital, so they had to stay there in that camp thinking that that bear could come back at any moment. The electric fences weren't working. That's no, fucked up. No. That's... I wonder how long the bo- they had to wait for the boat. Well, two days. Nah, because maybe that was like two days to get to Montreal. Oh, true. Yeah. Rich and Marta were the first to go in and see Matt at hospital. And with an alphabet board, he spelled out a question to them. What do you think the question was? Does my butt look big in this? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. What did he ask? He asked, would they all like to come to his house for a lobster bake? (laughs) (laughs) Same sort of, same sort of, um... Like, at least he had a bit of a sense of humour. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Me and him have the same sense of humour. Yeah. (laughs) So, Matt survived. Good on him. Yeah. What a mad dog. So, today, Matt has recovered from the attack, evident only by scars on his face and neck and the change in his voice, which is now a husky rasp. He got a new tattoo on his arm a polar bear surrounded by six stars, one for each of his travel mates. That's nice. He says it's a reminder of just how close he came to death, the friendships he forged in the most dire of circumstances and the animal he has come to admire. I love it when people don't blame blame the animal. Like that's really, really lovely that they just learn to respect them more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> and finally, a year after his trip, a group of journalists invited him to join them for a week in the Torn Gats. He said, hell yeah. Some bullshit. No shit. Well, I don't know if he said hell yeah. I just put that in, but he just said absolutely, like no questions. He wanted to build new memories rather than forever associate it with the horror of the polar bear attack. In August of 2014, this time accompanied by two bear guards, (laughs) Matt revisited his former campsite. Within minutes, he saw a polar bear. Bullshit. Yeah. I wonder if it was the same one. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's uh, that's the end of the story. Ah, That was a cliffhanger. I know. Um. Now, the article was called Mauled, One Man's Harrowing Escape from the Jaws of a Deadly Polar Bear. So I couldn't tell you that because then you wouldn't know. Did you think he was going to die? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That was, I was on the edge of my seat. Incredible. Like just absolutely incredible. Like the thing is, like if that polar bear tooth had have got to his carotid artery, he wouldn't 
have stood a chance I can't of believe survival. He, the only thought he had was he lost a sock. I know. While you're being carried away. By your head. By your head. And it's funny, like, how could he see his sock if it had him by the head? So it must have been... So his face would have been out of the, the jaw. But how could he see his legs? Wouldn't his legs be behind him? I don't know. <laughs> Just talking about the logistics. Um, so, yeah. Crazy. That's crazy, a crazy, crazy, crazy story. story. Crazy. I don't know how the polar bear got through the electric fence. I don't know whether it just wasn't shocked. <laughs> it probably by. just swapped it. It's just like, yeah, like, see ya. what is this? Like this <laughs> tiny little bit of fence. And, you know, Rich had checked it to see if it was working and it definitely was working. So who knows? Bah. So I just wanted to put that story into its own episode just because it is so yeah that was a roller coaster a roller coaster and it's just really is that a movie i feel like that should be a movie it should be a movie shouldn't it and i just it really freaks me out that the bear was just sitting on the ledge and watching them and then waited until night time and the thing is matt was the only one who felt uneasy about it how did it know like maybe oh yeah true like why did it go for him when he was the one like it could have picked any other tent there and matt was the only one who felt really uneasy about the bear and the bear probably could smell the fear yeah and um he was the youngest too so it's just absolutely insane but so amazing that he survived and the fact that he actually went back yeah. Less than a year later. Yeah, that's pretty um brave. And saw a polar bear within minutes. I really hope it was the same one. That would just be like... Crazy. Like, ah, oh, it's amazing. It's seriously amazing. And he, um, I'll post a picture of him. He looks quite, um, quite wild now, like... <laughs> In a way, so... So, Matt, um, what it, what was he? Was he the lawyer? He was a legal aid lawyer, legal yeah. Legal aid lawyer, yeah. Yeah. And... Did he sue the bear? <laughs> <laughs> Attempted murder for the polar bear. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know what, though? If... Uh, who was it? Uh, Rick Eisenberg, he was that uh, phys- retired physician. I don't yeah, that would have been traumatic I don't him. think if... Rick hadn't have been there, I don't think Matt would have survived. Yeah. Like, at least Rick had that tiny little bit of knowledge. I'm sure the guides would have had first aid ability. Yeah, but there's a difference between general first aid and... Gashes. Looking after someone who has been mauled. And, like, the thing is, if you just saw, like, a hole in someone's neck... Would you say, oh, that's their carotid artery? I wouldn't know. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't know either. So, you know, and, you know, if you just put some tissues or some tweezers in there or something, like, you could easily just tear that and bleed out. Yeah. Yep. Lucky. So, that was Matt's amazing survival story. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll put some pictures up of the polar bear on the ledge that Marilyn took and some photos of the group. and Even just, can we, can we put some photos of the... Landscape? Landscape, yeah. Yeah, of course. 
and I will do another episode to to discuss some more stories because there are quite a few and polar bears are fascinating. So I look forward to telling you some more stories, maybe some ones with not... Best outcome? Yeah. Well, that one made me sweat, so... (laughs) So you can go ahead and like us on Instagram, Facebook... Send us a Gmail, dangerouscreaturespodcast at gmail.com. Twitter. Uh, Twitter, DC Podcasts. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Um, Spotify. And if you could pop on to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, that is a huge help to us. And send us some recommendations and tell us what you want to hear. Yeah, we'll do some request episodes soon. Yeah, do some requests and um, let me know. I would really like to hear whether you prefer me telling one story per episode or whether you'd rather hear multiple stories per episode so that I can really tailor it to what our listeners want to hear. Yeah, sometimes we tell little stories and discuss them and sometimes we tell like fleshed out stories don't we yeah we do like with more detail i just know that when i listen to podcasts i prefer i like to know the details rather than two people discussing just being like this person was attacked by a polar bear and they died like i want to know why (laughs) i want to know why it happened and what led up to the potential attack or whatever so just let me know and we'll be happy to uh, do what you want us to do. <laughs> <laughs> so send us some love and we hope that you will join us next week for another discussion. Oh, and I just wanted to say, because I said that I would do this episode based on who was going to win the AFL Grand Final, but the Tigers won when I didn't need them to win, when I didn't want them to win. So I couldn't do the episode that I wanted to do because... Oh, okay. You want to do, to do cats? No. So I needed the Tigers to lose. Oh, okay. And then I got angry because they didn't lose. So I just said, fuck it. And I did polar bears instead. Yeah, right. So... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so for anyone who might have been thinking that I was going to do cats or tigers... Maybe next time. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. So tune in next week for another episode of the Dangerous Creatures podcast. Yay. Bye. Bye.